You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. So, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verses 1-5, through 5, here's what the Apostle Paul says, As I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So this is uh, the Word of God for the people of God this morning. Uh, Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I want to thank you so much for your Word. Um, the blessing and the privilege that we have to be together to hear from you. Um, God, I, just, I, I really want to begin, um, Lord, by just asking you to come and uh, cleanse our hearts and our minds. Uh, remove um, things that would uh, hinder us from hearing your word preached. Um, Father, I pray for myself in these moments too. Um, Lord, you're, you are faithful and your, your word is faithful. Um, and yet I know I uh, am unfaithful in so many ways. Uh, so God, I pray that you would come and speak through me to your people, that you would care for your people, that you would encourage and strengthen and rebuke and um, transform uh, your people. God, I uh, pray that you would do that. And then some, I trust that you will. pray that you would reveal the ministry of uh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, our crucified, risen, and returning Savior. Thank you for Jesus. I pray that you would reveal him more to us this morning. I trust you to do this work in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So this, uh, this text is a pretty special text for me. Um, I've been engaged in the work of preaching God's Word for a little over 20 years. So I, I was thinking about it this week, and I, I, number one, I, think, I didn't realize I was that old. <laughs> uh, 20 years, didn't, I didn't really realize I'd, I'd been after it for that long. Um, this passage, it's, it's been one that's often been on my heart and uh, my mind. Um, typically, as I prepare to step into a pulpit to, to actually preach, do the work that I'm doing like right now, um, but it's a passage that's on my mind often if I walk into a leadership team meeting or uh, sit down with a couple maybe that's trying to navigate some marriage or family issues or um, maybe at times when I'm meeting with someone who's trying to work through some kind of deep sin patterns in their life. Uh, this is a passage that's often on my heart and mind. Um, and I think it, it's on my heart and mind because of verses 2 and 5. Uh, the way that I pair those two verses together, the command... And the Apostle Paul here is to preach the word, fulfill your ministry. 
Right? Those two things put together. If you're going to fulfill your ministry, you're, you're going to do it by preaching the word. And it's, it's obviously something I hear very personally when I hear that command. I don't really um, ever think of those words and this verse or this passage is just merely words from an aging apostle who's on death row for preaching the gospel. That's where Paul's at. He's about to be beheaded because of his preaching of the gospel. And he's, he's saying this to young Timothy. I, I don't typically hear it. Uh, I, don't, I don't hear it in a disconnected way. I hear it in a very connected, very personal way when I hear these verses. Um, I get it. I, I, I'm a preacher, right? So none of this is probably shocking any of you guys. Um, spend a few years pondering, applying the meaning of this passage to the ministry God's given me. But as I, as I studied it this week and prayed my way through it, pondered and thought, um, I mean, it's a passage I've probably referenced a number of times. Y'all have probably heard it referenced maybe um, in sermons or Bible studies you've done. Um, my concern, as I prayed my way through and studied and prepared for this moment, my concern is that I want to help all of us to hear these words just as personally as I do. Right? I want to help us to hear it with the same kind of personal urgency that, that I hear it. But I realize there's a bit of a barrier, there's a bit of a problem to trying to cross that great divide from, you could say, like a vocational Christian, because that's, that's me, right? I, I get paid to do what I do. It, it's, in some regard, you could say, well, that dude gets paid to be a Christian. Um, it's not necessarily true, but there's a sense about that that feels right, whereas the rest of us in the room, we're in different places, right? So there's a divide there. Um, so I think it's easier for me to hear this passage with the personal urgency that I hear it. The question is, how do I help all of us to, to hear it uh, that way? Right? I thought of different kinds of people by vocation, right? So I'm thinking of the health worker, the healthcare worker in the room. I'm thinking of the school teacher in the room. I'm thinking of the industry worker, the truck driver, the stay-at-home parent, the administrative assistant, the list goes on and on. The bookkeeper, right? Um, the retiree, the farmer, public servant, the high school student, right? How, I'm going to make sure I get you in there. How, how, do, how do I help us? How do I help all of us um, to, to hear that well? Um, I, I, you know, and I thought, too, like, I... So the, the last time I preached, because I, I, we had a guest preacher last week, um, the last time I preached, if, if you were here, I, I tore up a Bible. Um, if you know me well, um, I'm not a gimmicky preacher, I don't think. I don't, uh, I, just, I don't have gimmicks in my tool bag. <laughs> I don't typically tell really good stories or jokes, and, and uh, I, I don't think I have very good hooks. Um, Tearing up a Bible is probably the scariest thing I think I've done in a long time. And so I, as, I'm, as I'm looking at this text, I'm like, man, I wish I had a gimmick again. You know, and I, don't, I don't have one. I, and that's probably a good thing. Um, I, I, I am saying everything I'm saying intentionally. Um, 
I don't, I don't have any of those things in my, in my toolbox this morning. What, what I have is just God's word, right? Um, I can say this. Uh, I, I think that if, if we're going to be a church that fulfills the ministry that God's called us to, um, then I think we've got to be about the business of preaching God's word. And, and I think that if we ever arrive at a place where, uh, where we believe that the, the, the work of preaching God's word, or where we believe that the calling to preach God's word uh, it, it just lands on the guy that's on the stage behind a pulpit, I think if we ever land there and think that, that that's the only way that we as a church preach God's word, then I, I think that that is the day that we begin to die. I think that's the day that we begin to cease to fulfill uh, God's calling on us as a church. Um, I think that if I had the time, I would spend some time trying to build a biblical theology from beginning to end of why I land in this place, that I believe that this is not only my job to preach, although it is my primary job, right? Uh, but that it is all of our job. I think that I could build the case well enough throughout Scripture, um, but for the sake of time, what I think would be good um, is I'm just going to assume that we all agree on that. And, and if we disagree on that, it's okay. Um, maybe we can have a conversation over a cup of coffee. So I'm going to start there assuming that and then just turn to the text and go, okay, uh, what does it look like then, Paul, uh, to fulfill the ministry you've given us by preaching the word. So first thing I notice, so that's kind of where we're headed, that's what we're doing. First thing I notice is the basis of Paul's charge, right? Now Paul gives this charge, and there's a foundation. There's a basis for it. And I think it's super important for us to hear this basis, okay? Because here's what, here's what Paul doesn't tell Timothy. He doesn't tell Timothy that he's charging him with this task of fulfilling the ministry by, by preaching the word, he doesn't tell him that he's, this charges on the basis of his authority as an apostle. Although the apostle Paul does use his own authority as an apostle often, but not for this one, not for this charge. That's, that's not the basis that the apostle Paul is using. He's not, he's not using his ministerial credentials, right? He's not saying, hey, I, I've studied under this person, this person, and this person, therefore, he doesn't do that. He charges Timothy with this command to fulfill the ministry that he has by preaching the Word of God. On this basis, look at the text, verse 1. The basis is this, the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. The text says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing and His kingdom. So simply stated, the basis, the foundation Paul's charge to Timothy is simply the presence of God. And it's the presence of Christ Jesus. And the way that he describes Christ Jesus is that it is, it is this Christ Jesus who is returning. He's, he's coming back. And he's coming back not just to snatch us out of all the bad things that are going to happen at the end of the world because we love escapism theology. That's not it. He's not saying that. He's saying that Jesus, this Jesus, is returning as the righteous judge, an everlasting king of an eternal kingdom. So whatever kingdoms you and I like to set up, 
Jesus would like to shatter those. Paul is literally saying that the returning, resurrected judge and king of the kingdom of heaven is present. It's in his presence right now, Paul says, that I'm saying this. Um, It's as though... When Paul gives this charge to Timothy and us, it it is as though God is present. And we we know there's a doctrine of God's ever-present. We call this omniscient, right? I got that wrong. (laughs) Thank you. Omnipresent. It's those omnis. Um, He's present everywhere. I mean, it blows my mind. God is present everywhere at all times, for all time. So literally, when, when Paul is saying, hey, uh, this charge is coming from the very presence of God, it's as though he's saying, this charge, this command, this instruction I give to you is coming straight from the throne room of heaven. This charge is not to be dismissed as mere human words, nor, nor should it be discarded as some antiquated theory of discipleship from days long ago. The centrality of the Word of God in the work of fulfilling the ministry of the local church is based upon the very presence of God in the crucified, risen, returning Christ. He is our everlasting judge. He's our everlasting king, our eternal king, the one who was prophesied about from from years and years ago, the one from whom in, in the garden God spoke and said, her seed will crush the serpent's head. <coughs> he is the Word of God, right? Jesus. He is the Word of God become flesh, according to John 1.1. He is the one who comes back in Revelation with a sword coming out of his mouth, right? And we remember, a sword coming out of his mouth, the Word of God is like a two-edged sword. There are so many different types and pointers in this back to Jesus. I think you could just talk for a long, long time. He's our everlasting judge and king. So all too often I think, (coughs) I don't know about us for sure, but all too often the church today is guilty of seeing the preaching ministry of the church as either the opinions of some man or it's the only spiritual meal of the week. I mean, I got to go to church so I can get fed. And it's like, you got a problem with feeding yourself? If you do, then you're still a baby. Because babies can't feed themselves, right? Is there truth that we should come to church and be a part of a church to get fed? Yeah. Does that fall primarily on the guy in the pulpit? No. Is it one of my main job descriptions? Yes. Is it also yours? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think the job for all of us to be feeding one another, so to speak, and, you, and, and the, the image of this is much less like babies who need to be fed by spiritual parents. It's much more like spiritual adults who can, who can come and bless and nourish one another. Does that, does that make sense? That's the image I see in my mind. Now, the Apostle Paul uses similar language to this at times. And I, I think the book of Hebrews also uses some language similar to that as well. About, uh, can we give some meat now rather than milk? 
Um, the question is, have we matured to a point where we can handle um, that kind of teaching? <coughs> I would say if we, if we see the preaching ministry of the church as merely the opinions of a man, um, or, at, or it becomes the only spiritual meal that we eat that week, then, then, then both of those would be unhealthy for a church. Um, I think my hope as we listen to this is that we would continue to return or continue to grow um, on, on what the basis of our calling is, right? If we could see the basis of our calling, preaching the presence of Christ in the presence of Christ, I think we'd continue to grow into more maturity. Second thing I noticed in the text <coughs> has to do with what it means to preach the word. What does it mean to actually preach the word, Right? <clears throat> There's a lot of talk today uh, in the Western church about the importance of preaching the word. Uh, there, there are some and many who I think see the plain kind of verse by verse, a word by word preaching of the word as an outdated, useless, boring, tiresome task of doing the work of ministry. There are some kind of in that camp, uh, much more topical, much more on the proof texting side. Um, I would say that there are some who, who even go so far as to say that, and I've heard this often, no one is changed by the preaching of God's word. Have you ever heard that from somebody? Um, what we actually need instead of preaching God's word is to develop communities where we tell stories and share one another's stories and build relationships. The crazy thing is those things aren't bad. They just got elevated to a place that they shouldn't occupy. You know, but it's like, it's like somebody built some category where there's some competition between those two things rather than, rather than the thing of sharing stories, being involved in each other's stories and building relationships is somehow superior to the preaching of God's word, where it, as I study God's word, it really should be the other way. The preaching of God's word is what should influence and infiltrate those other things. Right, so, so these are the kinds of arguments I think going on in the church today. And I, I think the Apostle Paul, uh, as he is saying these things to young Timothy, uh, wants to make sure that Timothy understands that the preaching of God's word is what fills heaven with sinners who have become saints by the grace of God. Right? I think Paul believes that. So he says in verse 2, preach the word. Preach the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. If we are to fulfill our ministry as a church, I think we must be about the business of preaching the word. And I think you preach that one-to-one -one as well as one to the masses. Um, it's a two-fold strategy. It seems to be the pattern we see throughout the Bible. And I also believe that when every one of our members, especially throughout our church, um, takes this charge, this command, to be their personal walking orders, and I think uh, we'd make a bigger dent in the gateway of hell. So I do believe those things. When Paul says these things here, he's very careful to outline what he actually means. Okay? When he says preach the word, he does outline some things that I think are helpful to us. Let me start with the negative. Here's what Paul does not say preaching the word is. He does not say that Preaching the word is sharing stories. He does not say that. He does not say that preaching the word is telling jokes, using gimmicks, right? Kind of referenced some of that already. Uh, 
Preaching doesn't mean pandering to the masses, doesn't mean that we should proof text the Bible out of context to highlight our favorite soapbox topics. It's not that. He doesn't say that. Here's what he says preaching the word means. Um, he's already said here, uh, previously in this book, <coughs> that preaching the word means we've got to preach the plain truths of God's word as they're presented throughout his word. He does say that, I believe, back in chapter 2. He says preaching needs to happen always. He says that here. Always. In season, out of season. When it's convenient and when it's inconvenient. You ever had those inconvenient moments where, where you have an opportunity to share God's word with somebody? And you're like, man, I don't have time for that right now. I don't have the emotional capacity for that. I don't even feel like I know what to say. Um, and then we begin to act like Moses, and we start stuttering, <laughs> and we start telling God how I'm not going to go and speak to whomever. <clears throat> so I think we all have those moments. We have moments where we feel like it's more convenient, right? Like if I can just get into the context of a weekly Bible study, that's the time when I can share God's Word. Um, Paul says here, hey, preaching's got to happen always, in season, out of season, when it's convenient, when it's inconvenient. <coughs> it must be done on purpose. So it must be done with a purpose, right? Preaching needs to have a purpose, and he kind of lays those out in those words that he used, right? Reprove, rebuke. <laughs> Thank you. I was thinking that. Oh, that's better. Preaching needs to be done with a purpose. And the purpose is to correct, it's to confront, it's to encourage. It's not to share opinions that have no authority and no eternal ramifications. Um, so preaching, preaching's got to be done with patience. It's done with patience so that other people may learn the gospel. Um, this, this is about being able to teach the plain words of the scriptures. You need to remember also, I think at the same time, in the midst of being patient as you teach... Remember how slow we all are to learn and grow. Uh, that should humble and humiliate. Right? It should never be a situation where you're just simply trying to win a fight and prove that you're right. Um, as an aside, something that's not in my notes, uh, it came to my mind a few times like that there is a, uh, that there is a, uh, what's the word? That there is a sense, I think, in the church today among Christians that if, if I look at someone and say the Bible says that, that somehow that should be more than enough. B because I've arrived at a place where I believe that this is God's word. It's inerrant. It's true. It's perfect. Right? There's no error in it. Um, so, so if I just tell someone, but the Bible says killing babies is wrong. The Bible says homosexuality is wrong. The Bible says... Right? I don't think that that convinces people very well. And yet, at the same time, the tension is, I believe that the preaching of God's word changes lives. So, so how, do you, how do you navigate that? With patience. Patiently teaching so that others may learn. Um, which means you take people where they're at, Right? And you don't expect them to be somewhere where they're not yet. 
Uh, I had somebody once say to me, and, and this applies to the preaching, the teaching of God's word so that others may learn. Um, if you have a current view of the person across the table from you, or in my case, right, I'm preaching, if I have a, if I have a view of everybody in our congregation that is 10 years from now, right, it might take you 10 years to get to where I hope you might get as a person, right? I'm just going to look at Abe, okay? I'm going to use Abe. Is that all right? Okay, don't shoot me. So if I... If I, were to, if I were to say, Abe, man, I have some dreams for your life. I know your story. I know your struggles. And I, man, I want you to be here. And I don't know how long it's going to take for him to get there. And it could take 10 years. Um, and if I stay so focused on that that I miss the fact that this is Abe. He's wearing a red shirt today. He has a beautiful red beard and mustache and a bald head. And when he sings, I'm helped to be captured into the presence of God. And I know the specific things Abe struggles with, struggles with, and I know how he's making steps towards growing. The point is this. You can actually get to a place where you're so impatient about somebody else's growth that you begin to love a future 10-year version of them more than you love the person that's standing in front of you. And the crazy thing is you're not even loving that person anymore. I'm convinced that that kind of principle is actually what ruins relationships the most. It's, it's the impatience of actually not loving that current person standing right in front of you. And it's hard. It's hard. Because you may be at a place where you're like, man, I think I know the truth on this and I want you to be where I'm at, right? And so patiently teaching so that someone may learn and grow. And that requires loving the person that is right in front of you more than the future version that you see in your mind. Now, the funny thing is, I, I don't know how long we know each other, Abe. That's probably 10 years, maybe, maybe longer. Yeah. I don't think either Abe or I are the versions that either one of us thought we would be when we first met each other. So the great thing is that future picture gets to kind of change and transform because there, there's, a, there's an admission of not being God in the midst of that, right? Like, I don't, I'm not God. I don't know all things, and I'm not always, I'm not present everywhere. But my responsibility and Abe's responsibility and all of ours is to preach the word of God in those relationships and to do so patiently. So in the end, uh, it's the preaching of the word of God. It's preaching of the gospel in the word of God that I think will transform and sustain believers until Jesus' return in glory. Third thing I notice in the passage, um, third thing I notice, beware of people with itchy ears. Now, I, it's kind of funny because I get itchy ears every fall <laughs> because it's like a, it's an allergy. <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm constantly like, Sticking fingers, and I got stuff that's like running down the back of my throat. That's why I need a glass of water. Um, it's not those kinds of itchy ears <laughs> that he's talking about. But you do need to be aware of people with itchy ears, right? Now, there's always going to be people who reject, just absolutely reject faithful preaching. There's always going to be people uh, who, who want their ears tickled with myths, right? They've gotten bored with the plain teaching and study of God's word. 
and have now run headlong after all sorts of sensationalistic teaching or preaching or thoughts. Uh, there, there have always been and always will be these kinds of people. It's been the case since the Garden of Eden. I mean, again, you go back to, uh, you go back to the serpent, tested Eve with, what did God say? Did he really say that? The funny thing is, when Eve opens her mouth, she gets it wrong right away anyways. I, because all God said was, <laughs> eat of all the right, you can have all that. Beautiful, good stuff. I mean, the, he uses the word good. Like, when I think, when, I, when God says, I made this and it was good, I spoke this into existence and it's good, I think of a T-bone steak. It's good. It's really good, okay? And, and God says, see all those T-bone steaks? They're good. Just don't eat that one flat iron steak in the middle because it's not good. And I don't know why I'd ever want to eat it anyways. But the funny thing is, Eve, when, when the serpent starts to tempt her, just says, yeah, God told us not to even touch it or we're going to die. God never said don't touch it. He said don't eat it. You see how semantics can get you just a little bit off? It's like when you're taking a shot out of a bow, right, or a gun. You get that much off now, a mile from now, it's a mile off. It's exactly what happened there. I mean, it started there, the testing of God's word. The inability to communicate God's word faithfully. Uh, the inability to believe it. It's been the case from the Garden of Eden, through the times of the prophets, right? The prophets were angry often because the people were not paying attention to God's word. They were not being obedient to God's word. You know, the time of Jesus, walking out his ministry, he clashed with the religious elites of the day. Why? Because they thought they had the Bible down. And they didn't. So there have always been, always will be people with itchy ears. That's why Paul tells Timothy, watch out for these people. He says in verses 3-4, through four, they will not endure sound teaching. But having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So this has just been my experience. Um, I've experienced these kinds of people. Um, and they, they don't always want their ears tickled with some kind of totally heretical doctrine. Okay, It's, it's not like they come in... And it's, it's like something really off the wall, like, please tickle my ears by telling me that Jesus doesn't save. You get me? It's not that in your face. It's not that heretical. Um, typically, like, I, I hope I don't throw any of us under the bus on this. Um, typically, it's like, man, I just wish you would preach more about flat earth theology. Okay? I wish you would preach more about the day, age, and Genesis. Like, that's what our people need to hear to be saved. And I'm like, Really? Okay, no, <laughs> sorry, not, not going there. You can go stay there on your own, it's fine, we can debate that, but no. Um, so it's, it's, usually, it's usually not crazy. It's usually just people looking for some preacher who's going to constantly preach their favorite doctrinal position, right? Want to hear more health, wealth, prosperity teaching, want to hear more about prophecy, want to hear more end times theology, Calvinism versus Arminianism. That's what the church needs to hear today. Um, some weird version of these the fundamental doctrines, you know, the you know, don't 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 drink, don't chew, don't date girls who do, you know. 
tattoos, alcohol, smoking, politics. That's the stuff we need to preach on. Um, it's usually folks who want to hear that because it tickles their ears. Right? Um, they have no stomach for the plain, verse-by-verse preaching of God's word. Boring to them. Doesn't have any sensationalistic sense. Float around from church to church looking to get their ears tickled until they start itching again. Find a new preacher down the street who's preaching what they want to hear in that season. Full of what I would call sin sickness. No stomach for the gospel. That's the way I would describe what Paul's talking about here. And I think at the end of the day, you need to be aware of those people. You need to ask the Lord to also not let us become that kind of people. Can I just say, if you listen to me preach long enough, you'll probably figure it out. I am wholeheartedly a Calvinist. Right? All, all day long. That's where I landed. Uh, we've, to this day, we've never done a series on Calvinism. I'm just probably not going to do that. Um, you're probably going to hear some of that influence my preaching. But this is maybe one of the only times out of a handful where you might hear me say that um, simply to make a point. Like I, I resist those urges because that's not preaching the plain truths of Scripture verse by verse. I could jump around and get you a bunch of passages and win the fight and prove to you that Calvinism's right, baby, and you were just predestined to believe that it wasn't. You know, I, mean, I, I got all the arguments. <laughs> you know, it's fun. <laughs> Amen, right? <laughs> but, but, but I'm not going to preach that. You follow me? Um, I believe it to be true. We need to be aware of those people, but also ask God, God, please help us not to become that people, right? Don't let us become defined by some weird kind of like sensational doctrine that's, that's out there. Definitely don't want to become heretics for sure either. That seems easy. I do believe that the thing that's going to help us to remain people who are committed to the word is if we become people who have the word in our veins. This is what Spurgeon would say. Got to have the word in your veins, Got to have the ink stains on your nose. Um, that's from being in the Word. And I always say you can't give what you don't have. So if you don't have the Word in your veins and have ink stains on your nose, how are you going to fulfill this ministry of preaching and sharing the Word of God with other people around you? So, I mean, the, the obvious application from all this is pick up your Bible and read it, right? Don't tear it up and leave it on the floor or leave it on the shelf to gather dust. I think, uh, I think I've told this story. I do have a story. I do have a story, actually. Uh, let's see if I can get it right. There's a preacher that uh, got invited over to a family's house for dinner. And uh, man, just has a really good time. And the family made great dinner, too. Good dessert, cheesecake, strawberry cheesecake. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, and, and the... The, the husband and wife that invited him over, they, like they bring out their fine china and this, this really awesome silverware, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful silverware. Um, and just, you know, it, it was an exciting moment because they've got the preacher over and they're, they're eating. At some point, the night gets over and the preacher prays for him, says, I'm, I'm going to get out of here, I'm going to get home. And so he leaves. And it was about six months later or so, the, the woman and the man come to him and they're like, hey, uh, Preacher, I, I don't want to insinuate anything, but you know that night when you were over, we had dessert, and we brought out the beautiful silverware. Um, we ate dessert with, and, 
one of the spoons is missing. <laughs> We're not trying to say that you would steal it. We're just wondering, you know, maybe you, maybe you, maybe you saw it somewhere, and he goes, "Oh yeah, I remember it. Yeah, I stuck that in your Bible." <laughs> yeah, let us not be those people. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Fourth thing I notice in the text, keep doing the work. <laughs> Plain and simple, just keep doing the work. Verse 5. Final theme Paul says here really brings this, this work aspect of fulfilling our ministry right to the forefront, right? Ministry, here's the thing, ministry is fulfilling, okay? It's fulfilling in the sense that we get caught up in what God is doing in and through us. Really fulfilling for that. Um, but it's also some of the hardest work that I think we'll ever engage in. And you've got to keep doing it faithfully until the very end. Hard stuff. We've talked a lot about that in our study of this book because it's really one of Paul's kind of major themes. Sticking with it until the very end. This is why Paul says, As for you, verse 5, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Uh, for, for, for the Apostle Paul, as he sits on death row for preaching, um, the final topic that's on his mind as he brings this book to a close. It's his last book. Remember that, right? So these are his final words written. The last thing on his mind is, is about helping Timothy and helping us not, not to be fulfilled necessarily by doing ministry. But it's to actually fulfill or, or complete our ministry faithfully. That's his thought. And to do that, to, to fulfill our ministry, you've got to stay sober, right? He's not talking about getting drunk. Now stay sober, sober-minded. Don't, don't, don't lose your head when everything spins out in absolute chaos. You've got to suffer well. No time for pity parties. No space for retaliation against those who oppose us or oppose you. Got to see yourself as an evangelist, the bringer of the good news of the gospel to the lost, the bringer of the good news of the gospel, period. If you see yourself as an evangelist, fulfilling the Great Commission, bringing the good news, then you and I would have an intense focus on the gospel, which not only wins and saves the lost, but also sustains and transforms those who are saved. It's continual focus and application of the message of the gospel. At the end of the day, he's basically saying, keep doing the work of ministry. So in conclusion, um, you might remember at the beginning of this message, and you've, you've probably heard it kind of all the way through, uh, if we're going to fulfill this ministry that we have uh, as a church family, uh, you've got to be about the business of preaching the Word of God, right? I do believe that if we, if we ever arrive at a place where we believe that that calling to preach the Word if we think that that only falls on the preacher in the pulpit on the stage, then, I, like I said earlier, that's the day I think um, we cease to fulfill the ministry that God's called us together as a church family. So let me give you a synopsis, summary of everything we just studied. Um, again, I don't have any, I don't feel like I have any um, ways to drive this home to make it more applicable other than just reciting what we've heard Paul say. Uh, got to remember the basis for the charge, right? What was the basis? The basis for the charge is the presence of God in our returning king. Simple as that. 
It's the presence of God in our returning king. That's the basis of the charge, where it's founded at. Got to remain committed to what it actually means to preach the word of God. And he says it means preach the word always and preach it with purpose, not just mere opinions. He also says, be aware of people with itching ears, right? Be aware. There's going to be people who, re- people who reject sound preaching. There's going to be people who seek sensationalism. And don't get caught up in that. Don't get caught up in that. Just be aware. Keep doing the work of ministry. Seek to fulfill your ministry instead of being fulfilled by ministry. Because here's the thing. There will be one day when whatever ministry you've been called to that promotes and presses and moves the preaching of the Word of God, you will not be so fulfilled by that. (laughs) There will be days. So if you're living to be fulfilled by ministry, you might want to ask God to change your heart so that you might just live to fulfill your ministry. So seek to do that. Quite simply, that's the way that we preach the Word of God, fulfill the ministry that God has given us. Last thing I want to draw our attention to is the cross of Jesus. When you think about the cross of Jesus, you think about all the words that Jesus spoke. Here's the beauty. The beauty is that every preacher all throughout the scriptures, every preacher you're ever going to listen to, myself included, uh, is going to get it wrong. I don't think that when preaching happens, that it is the mere opinions of men. I think God is speaking and preaching his word through imperfect men. Uh, I don't think that that the words that I've said are perfect. I don't think they're the Bible, right? They're very important. Very important to have preachers in our lives. Very important to be preaching to one another. But every preacher has failed one way or the other. Um, There's one preacher who did, and his name is Jesus. That's the beauty of the story. He's the Word who became flesh, and in his flesh he lived the perfect life that we could not live. And he went to the cross, and even the words he spoke on the cross, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Um, You think of the thief on the cross next to him. In one moment he's cursing God, right? And in the next moment he's saying, Oh my gosh, do you know who this is? This is the Savior of the world. Something clicked. The beauty of the whole biblical story is just that. Jesus comes and does exactly what we were meant to do and then offers us eternal life um, as we place our faith and our trust and our hope in Him. And then what He does is He transforms us. And He does that through the preaching of the Word which is a fulfillment of the ministry of Jesus. So that's my hope and my prayer for us, is that God would give us a a deeper love for his word, a greater thirst and a greater hunger for his word, day by day, throughout the week, and that we would communicate that word in every season, every circumstance, every opportunity we have in our own little vocations. You know where those spaces are at where God calls you to speak. I'm trusting that God will do that work among us. Amen? Yeah, would you stand with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. I pray, God, as we close, Lord, that you would draw our attention, our hearts, our minds to the foot of the cross. Uh, 
Help us to be encouraged and strengthened um, as we remember your shed blood and, and your broken body. As we remember that bloody cross and we remember that empty tomb, we remember that hope that we have in your return um, to take us into eternity. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.